grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Recently, there was an open letter written and uh, signed on to by over 150 cultural luminaries, people from across the political spectrum. You had J.K. Rowling, the author of the Harry Potter series, Malcolm Gladwell, the great journalist and author, David Brooks, the conservative newspaper columnist. Them and many, many more penned this open letter, something that they felt so strongly about that more than 150 of them needed to sign on to and to get out into the world. And what was it about? Was it about you know, saving the whales or you know, rescue it, rescuing this or that persecuted animal in some sort of place? What was it that stirred them up to sign this letter? Well, I'll tell you, read a little bit from it. The free exchange of information and ideas, the lifeblood of a liberal society is daily becoming more constricted. They wrote this open letter for fear that we are losing freedom of speech. Freedom of speech, that most basic American freedom, yes, they say, that there is an increased sense of sensor, sensorious, sensoriousness, like a censor. I'm not sure how to pronounce that word. An intolerance of opposing views, a vogue for public shaming and ostracism. And they go on to say that we are already paying the price in greater risk aversion among writers, artists, and journalists who fear for their livelihoods if they depart from the consensus or even lack sufficient zeal in agreement. What we're seeing is a culture, a society, where people are feeling like they always need to calculate what it is that they say. Maybe you feel it too. A survey that came out recently said that 62% of Americans in the last few months have found themselves self-censoring. Self-censoring. In other words, you know, doing little things perhaps like kind of curating your Facebook profile so that it doesn't look too offensive. Or, or you find yourself in a conversation with friends or coworkers or whoever it might be and steering away from certain topics of conversation because you're worried that you might offend them or that your views won't be accepted. More and more, this is happening in our society. And while they mention about writers and journalists and so forth, I would say that this is even more a danger for you and me as Christians. See, As social disapproval of Christianity increases, the temptation is there more and more for us as believers to zip our lip, to be quiet not to confess our faith boldly and confidently for fear of what the repercussions or ramifications are going to be. Am I going to become an outcast? Am I going to become a pariah in my social circle? Where still, could I lose my job? Is the Twitter mob going to come after me? Whatever it might be, we have that sense that we need to be calculating in our confession of faith for fear of what the results might be. But in today's gospel, Christ Jesus shows us why we can kick the calculator to the curb, why you and I can be confident in our confession and in fact live by an uncalculated faith. And he shows us that, first of all, by having a little tete-a-tete -tete with his constant opponents, the chief priests and the elders. 
So the chief priests and the elders, they, they come up to Jesus and they are doing what they are constantly doing to him. They're, they're trying to be like uh, the media and trying to do gotcha questions with some politician. They're always asking Jesus, looking to see if they can corner him, get him to say something that they'll finally be able to put him on the hook for. And they say, okay, Jesus, where did your authority come from? Ha <laughs> ha, we got him this time, guys. But then Jesus quickly turns the table. He says, okay, yeah, I'll answer your question. First, you've got to answer, answer a question for me. The baptism of John, where does that come from? From heaven or from man? And so those religious leaders, quick, they, they have a huddle. Okay, all right, guys, come on, let's get together. What do, want, what do we want to say about this? Well, if we say that it came from heaven, he's going to say, well, then why didn't you believe John? Yeah, but if we say from man, all of the people hold John to be a prophet. The mob is going to come after us. What do we do? I think we just say, we don't know. Great answer. <clears throat> yes, Jesus. Uh, we don't know. They don't know because they are caught between a rock and a hard place. They recognize that if they admit that John's baptism was from heaven, then Jesus is going to say, aha, then you should have believed him all along. But they're too stubborn to do that. No, we are not going to believe that. We refuse to believe that. So then he says, oh, they say to themselves, okay, but if we say that it was from man, well, then we're going to incur the wrath of all the mobs. The crowds are going to come after us because they think that John was a prophet. So what do we say? Well, we just punt and say, we don't know. But here's what I want to draw your attention to. What is it that in their little huddle, they don't say to one another? What is the question that they don't ask of themselves and of each other? The question they don't ask is, what do we actually believe? What do, what do we actually think about the question that Jesus has posed to us? All they are concerned about is perception. How it is going to be viewed, how it is going to be interpreted, what are going to be the results and the ramifications of what they say, rather than asking themselves the most basic fundamental question, what do we actually believe? And friends, I hate to say it, but I think you and I, nowadays, in our modern times, are too easily led into a similar sort of place as those religious leaders were. It's like all of us are politicians now, with due respect to politicians, trying to interpret the opinion polls, trying to, to gasp, correct Capture what is, the, what is the wind of public opinion on this or that topic? How will what I have to say be interpreted and understood and viewed? We all find ourselves in that kind of place. And there's a temptation to think, well, what's, what's the big deal about that? There was a Czech dissident from the Czech Republic, a guy by the name of Václav Havel. And in the 70s, he wrote an essay where he thought through this question, thinking about it from underneath communist regimes. And he imagines for us a man who he says he's a, he's a grocer. He's got his little storefront grocery store. He's just your average, everyday Joe. He's just trying to go along to get along. And so Havel says, imagine that this man puts up a sign in his window. The sign says, workers of the world, unite. Now, does this grocer actually believe the sentiment of this sign? Is he a true believer in communism? Well, no, probably not. So why does he put up the sign? 
because he doesn't want any trouble. He's not looking to, uh, to incur the wrath of the mobs that might come after him. He just wants to go along to get along, to make sure he's able to retain his livelihood. He doesn't want to lose his business. And all of those are understandable, even admirable reasons. But Havel says, okay, so that's what he might gain by putting up a simple sign in his window. But what does he lose? What he loses is his dignity. What he loses is his own personal integrity. And maybe at first, it's just a sign in the window. But now, Havel says, that man has chosen to live within a lie. Something that he does not believe in, and therefore, more and more, he's going to be willing to go along with the lie. And someone might say, Pastor, I think you're, you're taking that way too seriously. I mean, isn't there something to be said for going along to, getting along to get along? You know, what's the big deal? What does it cost us as Christians to make those little movements that we might have to do in contemporary society if we don't want to suddenly incur the wrath of the crowds? Friends, Jesus tells us, beware of gaining the whole world and losing your soul. He says, whoever acknowledges me before my Father, I will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever is ashamed of me and my words, I also will be ashamed of him before my Father. Confession of the faith, uncalculated confession of the faith, come what may, is at the heart of who we are as believers we're not called to just go along with the stream. One of my favorite authors, G.K. Chesterton, whom I'm, I'm often quoting, he says, dead things go with the stream. Only a living thing can go against it. You and I aren't called to simply go with the flow, but instead to be spiritual salmon. Hmm? Spiritual salmon who are willing and able to flow against the stream, no matter what the cost, no matter what might come to us, because we know that we have a Savior who is with us and who has our back no matter what. And for us who find ourselves in that difficult, trying position, Jesus goes on to tell this parable, and I added to our, our gospel reading. This is right after that first part of the text. Jesus has this tete-a-tete -tete with the religious leaders. And then he goes on to say, I want to read it for you once more. He says, what do, you, what do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And that one answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Jesus tells a story, a parable of two sons the first one who says to his father, I will not go, and later goes. And the second one who says, I will go, but then does not. Jesus says, which of the two did the will of the father? I'll pose it to you as well. Which of the two did the will of the father? Mm. Like, uh, what am I supposed to say here? 
The first one, right? This is what the Pharisees or the religious leaders say. The first one. The guy who said, nah, I won't go, but then afterward goes. So I would answer the same way. But it's interesting. To dig deeper into the cultural context, in fact, in that time and place, and still today, in many uh, traditional Middle Eastern cultures, it was more of an affront to say to your father's face, I won't go, even if afterward you did go. I read one quote from some contemporary uh, Middle Eastern peasants who said, after hearing this parable for the first time, they said, it's a small thing not to work in the vineyard for a day. But it is a large thing to disobey your father to his face. See, I think that when Jesus tells this parable, his point isn't that one of, the, one of the sons was more faithful than the other. His point is they were both wrong. They were both wrong. See, he's got them in a gotcha of their own. Whether or not at first they said, I believe, and then failed to afterward do the will, or if at first they said, oh, I'll go, and then afterward didn't do it. Whatever it might be, Jesus is saying, you are wrong because you have not been faithful every step of the way. And more to the point, Jesus alone is that faithful son. Jesus alone is the one who hearkened to the will of the Father from the very first and said, Father, here am I, send me. Jesus alone is the one who obeyed all the way to the bitter end. Come what may, despite the consequences, no matter what was going to happen, Jesus obeyed the will of the Father. He himself was willing to suffer for our sake. He was canceled, see, for us, forsaken that we be not forsaken. Cast out so that we would never be cast out. Even if polite society says, no, no, we don't have anything to do with you anymore. You have the warm welcome of the Heavenly Father who says, no, you are my own. You are my beloved child. You can live in the confidence of uncalculated faith. And if there was any question about it, just look at the examples that Jesus gives. The tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Now think about, in that time and place, who were the tax collectors and the prostitutes? They were the ones who were ostracized, who were the outcasts. They were the ones who were canceled, right? Who had received no more support from their public, and the crowds had all come after them. But Jesus says, no, in the kingdom of God, they are the ones who belong to me. They are the ones who have that free and welcome into the kingdom. And so it is for you and me that as even the tax collectors and prostitutes were called and claimed by the Savior, so it is for us. So that now you and I need not live in fear of what may come from the wrath of man because now the wrath of God has been satisfied in his Son so that you can go forth boldly, confidently, uncalculatedly confessing Christ Jesus. Now, I mentioned before the bad example of a man under communism, the grocer who puts up his sign just to go along to get along. To think about what it looks like for you and me to live in this kind of uncalculated faith, I want to I give you a positive example from the same era, a little bit earlier. Under communism, the story of a, a man named Franz Jagerstadter. Now, if you haven't heard of Franz Jagerstadter, I don't blame you. I hadn't heard of him either. In fact, he was just a, a simple farmer. He was living in rural Austria in 1940. Rural Austria, which is a lot like northern Michigan. 
except with bigger mountains, right? He was just trying to go along, to get along, living his life as a, a faithful Christian along with his family. And he thought up there he was safe from everything else that was going on in the world. But lo and behold, the call to service to the Nazis came to him as well. And Franz had decided in his heart that he could not, would not do what was asked of every single soldier who, of course, went to serve with the Nazis, which was to make an oath of loyalty to Hitler. In his heart of hearts, from his Christian conviction, he knew that he could not, would not do that. And the word got out around his little village that Franz had this opinion, and everybody tries to talk him out of it, saying, Franz, come on, think of the ramifications of this decision. His neighbors, even his family, the town mayor, even his priest was saying to him, Franz, don't do this thing. Consider the costs, ironically, asking him to count the costs, to calculate what would be the outcome, the consequences of his decision. Well, I know his story because a movie was made of it in the last year, a movie called A Hidden Life, and I've mentioned it before in my writings, and I really can't uh, recommend it strongly enough, although it's probably not for everybody. It's like three hours long, moves kind of slowly. But any of us as believers can appreciate the profound evocation of the gospel and of uncalculated faith in it. And there's this, this powerful moment that happens in the movie. As Franz is wrestling, struggling with his decision, what is he going to do? Will he remain faithful to his Lord or swear this faith of oath of oil, loyalty to Hitler? He's going back and forth, and there's this, this moment in the film where he's been brought in by the higher-ups, and he's there alongside his wife, and he has his last moment. They know where he stands now. They know what his convictions are, but they're going to give him one last chance to recant, Luther-style, you know? His wife pulls him aside, and she says to him, her name is Fanny, she says to him, Franz, Whatever you decide, I love you. Whatever you decide, and here's the kicker, whatever comes, I am with you always. And I think her words in the movie purposefully echo the words of our Lord Jesus, who said to his disciples, who says to you and me, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I am with you always. It's in that confidence of not only the love of his wife, but the faithfulness of his Lord that Franz was able to go forth with uncalculated faith. And so it is for you and me. You don't have to count up those kinds of costs and consider, well, what are going to be the consequences? How many friends on Facebook am I going to lose if I am faithful to my Savior? Friends, that is the least of your concern. You can kick to the curb all of those kinds of considerations. You can pitch the poles and instead hold fast to your Lord Jesus and speak forth boldly and truthfully His word without fear of what the ramifications might be in our world today, because you have a Savior 
who was forsaken that you be not forsaken, who died and rose again, who lives and reigns. That's the only opinion that matters. And already you know his opinion of you, that you are his beloved child, that you belong to him, and that nothing, nothing is going to be able to separate you from his love. So go forth boldly, confidently, confessing your faith in Christ the Savior. He is with you always. You can count on it. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. And now we stand to confess our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed.